Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these three things are not of the Lord, they are of the devil. And the devil, we know, has many devices. Many devices up his sleeve. He's got a palette. He's like a painter. He's got a palette and he's holding it. And it's got lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and many other variants of those things. And let me tell you, don't be worried about this. Don't be... Uh, consumed by this, but know that your adversary is studying you. He knows you. But aren't you glad that God knows you more? Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio with Pastor Rob Kellogg. The character of the world expresses itself through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These lusts seek to draw our own flesh away into sin and worldliness. The idea behind the pride of life is someone who lives for superiority over others, mostly by impressing others through outward appearances, even if by deception. To get an idea of how the world works, think of the advertising commercials you most commonly remember. They probably make a powerful appeal to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Many successful ads appeal to all three. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be, God says, a special treasure to me above all people. God speaking to the Israelites, and certainly even in the Psalms, the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. So God speaks of this treasure in the field, and the field is the earth. And then right after that, he speaks about us, the church, the Gentiles. In Matthew 13, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And there's been a lot of speculation about what this parable really means. But let me suggest to you that it's not, um, the, the merchant is not us seeking the word of God, which is the pearl of great price. No, the Bible says that there's none good, no, not one. I, I, in my own flesh, I never sought God. I didn't really love him. I didn't seek after him with all I've got. Now I, I, I do, hopefully. But who initiated it all? Well, the merchant, let me suggest to you, is the Lord himself. He's the merchantman, and the church is the pearl of great price. A pearl is brought out of the sea, and in the Bible, the sea speaks of humanity. He takes that pearl out of the sea of humanity, this, this, this bride of Christ, and we know this is true of us Gentiles because pearls were nothing of significance to the Jews, but they were to the Gentiles. Pearls are made of an interesting material. It's calcium carbonate, and it's the same thing as chalk, and it usually takes about three to seven years for a really good pearl 
to come from a, an oyster. And the actual pearl itself, this is really wonderful. A pearl is formed by irritations. A grain of sand can get underneath the muscle of an oyster, and it's an irritation. And as a result of that irritation, it secretes this calcium carbonate, this lime kind of substance, and it begins to form over time. And around three to five to seven years, as a result of that irritation in the side of that oyster, comes forth this precious jewel. In the church, we were born from the wounds of Jesus Christ. We were that, not an irritant to the Lord, but we were formed because of the wounds of Jesus Christ. In Second Corinthians, it says that, For God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness of God in him. And certainly we know of Isaiah 53. This is the chapter that we love so much. It says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And it's from the side of Jesus. If you remember, as he hung on the cross, they took that spear and they pierced him, and out of his side came forth blood and water. And out of his death came forth life. The church was born on that day, just like that pearl that pearl of great price was formed in the heart of God and purchased by him. Just as Eve came forth from Adam's side, so we too, the church, was born out of the side of Christ by the blood that he shed. See, God loves people, and he's come to redeem them, but not the things in the world. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Christ, now is the day, now is the time. Don't leave this room today without giving your heart to him. In verse 16 of our portion this morning, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. In fact, it is of the ruler of this world. And who is the ruler of this world? It's Satan, the devil, Satan is the God of this age. Lowercase g, by the way. He's also called the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, Jesus speaking says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And he's speaking of his adversary, the devil. Is Jesus and the devil, are they equal? As the Mormons would have us believe, are they brothers? Are they the same? No, they're not. They're very different. Jesus is uncreated, meaning he's always been. And Lucifer is a created being. The Bible tells us this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul encouraging the Corinthians, he says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, what, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these three things are not of the Lord, they are of the devil. And the devil, we know, has many devices. Many devices up his sleeve. He's got a palette. He's like a painter. He's got a palette, and he's holding it. 
And it's got lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and many other variants of those things. And let me tell you, don't be worried about this. Don't be uh, consumed by this, but know that your adversary is studying you. He knows you. But aren't you glad that God knows you more? And he's the one who only will allow you to be tempted for your good. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will in every way give you every opportunity to escape the temptation. But there is one who does not love you. His desire is to destroy and bring as many to hell with him as he can. And he wants to deceive the unbeliever and reduce the joy and ruin the witness and testimony of the believer. Folks, he can't take away your salvation, but he can make your life difficult. He can trip you up so that your witness of Jesus Christ, your life, can be less than what it ought to be. Don't give him any ground to do it with. Don't give him any ground to do it with. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's interesting that the devil, he rarely has to bring out the big guns because these three things get most everyone. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He doesn't have to bring out the really heavy-duty armament. He's got those three things on a pallet, and he knows what your propensity is. Only because he studied you. He's not omniscient like Jesus. He's not omniscient like God. He's, he's very short-sighted, but he's very powerful. But he's no match for God. But he has a palate, and he's looking at you every single day, trying to trip you, trying to harm you, trying to destroy you. And aren't you glad that you're in the hand of your Savior? Know that. And you may feel sometimes that you are being swallowed up by darkness. And you come to the Lord when you're feeling that way. You come to him. You drop to your knees and you ask him to forgive you. And you restore that relationship with him. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord commanded Adam and he said, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The idea is, in dying, you will surely die. You're slowly going to die because of the wages of sin is death. And because you've sinned, you're going to slowly die. But ultimately, you're going to have a second death too if you don't turn from your ways. In dying you shall die, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we see it very clearly in the very next chapter. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, notice, he didn't come after the man, he came after the weaker vessel. And I don't mean that in a derogatory term. God had spoken to Adam, and now a woman comes from him, and the Lord goes after the weaker vessel. He always does. He wants to bring you down, guys, by attacking your wife and attacking your children. And he may come after you too. Sometimes he does all three at once. He's not a gentleman. He's not a fair fighter. But notice, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Because certainly... Adam spoke this to Eve and told her to stay away from this. But the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. He said, Don't, don't touch it, right? Don't, don't eat it. 
Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman said, and here it is, when the woman saw it, the tree was, notice, underline this, good for food, the lust of the flesh, that it was, underline this, pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree, underline this, desirable to make one wise, underline that, that's the pride of life. She took of its fruit, she ate it. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right from the very beginning. And you know what? That same scheme and plan has worked for centuries, for thousands of years now. He doesn't need to change his tactics so much. You'll be surprised that some of the most holy men on the planet, men perhaps, were the, they wouldn't stumble over the very obvious things that maybe many of us would stumble at. They've, they, they've reined in their lust. They've really gotten their heart right with God. And their temptations, do you think that they're any less? They're actually even greater. Because the devil's looking at them and saying, wow, you're not going to cave in over the, the secretary with the blue dress. You're not going to cave in to the allurement of money. Hmm, I got something better for you. And he works even harder. And those temptations, I believe, are even harder because they're more subtle and they're very, sometimes almost imperceivable. And he's like a serpent sliding through quietly. We don't need to be afraid of him, but we do need to wake up. Right, We need, do, need, do need to pay attention because this is what John is telling us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. He comes at the weakest point in our life. Notice, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. This is a, a passage that we all know very well. Matthew chapter 4. It says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted, notice, 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, naturally, he was hungry. And so, and when the tempter came, the devil came to him. He said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The devil tempting Jesus to give in to the lust of the flesh. But Jesus answered, and he said to him, He quotes from Deuteronomy, It is written, A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of, the, of God. And then the devil, not being uh, victorious over him, took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The devil, not getting him with the lust of the flesh, now comes after him with the lust of, or the pride of life. And Jesus said again to him, he battles him with the word of God. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And verse 8, again, the devil takes him up into an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Remember, he's the ruler of this age. The Lord ultimately has power and control over it, but for now, at least for a season, the devil has great control over the earth. And the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory, and he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me just this once. So easy. You don't even have to go to the cross, Jesus. You don't want to be separated from the Father. You don't want to go through the physical pain of crucifixion. That's horrible. It's torture. And then to be separated from God the Father, you've never been that separated. Why would you do that when I can just give it short? There's, there's cliff notes for this. There's a shortcut. You can do it easily and quickly. I'll write the deed right now. 
I'll give you all the kingdoms. You just worship me right now. And Jesus says, <laughs> appealing to his lust of the eyes. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, again from Deuteronomy, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see it in the garden, we've seen it in the life of our Lord, and we're also seeing it in our lives as well. There's really nothing new other than under the sun. And in verse 17, in our text this morning, it says, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You know, we saw this earlier in, the, in, our, in our study, that the, the current heavens and the current earth, it's going to pass away. But notice, he who doesn't know it necessarily, but he who does it. It's not important enough just to know the will of God. It's important to do the will of God. It's, it's the 18 inches from the head to the heart. The longest 18 inches ever is from here to here. Because we can know all things. We can, we can know a lot of information. We can know the word of God, but it, it takes something different to take it, to absorb it deep in our hearts and then do something with it. James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. The idea is produce it, be a performer of it. Not in works. We know that we're not justified by our works. We're justified by faith and our works. In that order, by the way. Abraham was justified by believing God. He believed God. But he was justified by faith in God, first and foremost. The secret is in doing what we hear, because if we don't do what we hear then what we hear will fade away, just like a man who sees his face in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. But putting the word of God in action, what does it do? It reinforces and solidifies the truth in our own heart, and it is a great witness to others. I love that. It solidifies it. The secret to knowing the word of God is doing it, and then you'll own it forever, and he will own you. It's a wonderful, uh, wonderful secret. And it's something that I'm learning, and I pray that you're learning as well. Don't be satisfied with just knowing. Be satisfied in putting it into action. That's where it gets really exciting, folks. If you find that your Christian walk is boring and kind of mundane, ask yourself the question, is it because I'm no longer, I'm filling my head with a lot of stuff, but I'm not really doing anything with it? Because once you do something with it, it gets really, really exciting. And is it going to be easy? It's not going to be easy, but you're going to feel more alive than you've ever felt. And you're going to feel the battle. You're going to sense the battle. You're going to be engaged in the battle. So many don't even know there is a battle because they've never done this. They're content on just learning and learning, but never able to come to the truth. Isn't that what Paul said, I believe? They're ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the knowledge of the truth is so much more than just head knowledge. It's gnosko. It's the, it's the experiential knowledge of doing something. If I, if I was to tell somebody, well, you know, to, to learn how to play the guitar, I'll just put your fingers here and, you know, over the phone. Um, just, yeah, just put your fingers here and put your fingers there. No, it, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense unless I'm there and I'm showing them. And, you, and they, they see you playing. They see your strumming pattern. They see all this stuff. Then they, they, they learn, like, wow. You have, to be, you have to be actively involved. In verse 18, it says, little children. This is just a term of endearment. Notice, John says, it is the last hour. And you have heard that the Antichrist is coming and how that even now many Antichrists have come by which you know it's the last hour. This term, the last hour, is also known as the last days or the last time 
or the latter times. It's the time that we currently live in. It's the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. That time that we live in right now is the last hour. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, The Spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it says that, it speaks of the last days, heaping up treasure for the last days. And certainly in Jude, that little book, that little spooky book, right before Revelation, I like to call it, he says, little children, it is the last, I'm sorry, but beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would come, that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. We live in this time. And this Antichrist that he's speaking of, this is interesting because the word Antichrist, this is the first time it's in the Bible. His character and his being is certainly mentioned in other places, in Daniel and other areas in the Scripture. But this is the first time the word Antichrist appears in the Scripture. And it means Antichristos, which is anti means against or in place of. Opposition or in place of. And, and that's who the Antichrist is. And notice that John is saying, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. This is a person, a specific person on the human level, on the stage of the earth, perhaps living, breathing, even right now. But he says that there are many Antichrists. Now, these are people who are like him. Not the Antichrist himself, but people who are like him, who hate Christ, who hate his word, who hate his people and hate his word. But he says this Antichrist, this occurs five different times in the Bible, and a couple of the times here in John, in 1 John, and then the, the final time in the second, uh, in second John in, in verse 7. Look over at verse 22 really quickly. It says, Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Is there a religious system that you have heard of or maybe were involved in that, that denied that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh? If you were, that is a system influenced by Antichrist, not Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, which we'll get to in a few weeks, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Notice, by this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. We live in those days, even more so. Notice there's one person. The Antichrist is called by many titles. He's called the Antichrist. He's also called the man of sin. He's called the little horn in Daniel chapter 8, which we don't have time to get into today. He's also called the abomination of desolation. He's called the lawless one. He is opposed to everything that is Christ. Opposed to everything and his campaign promises are shown us in Scripture. 
I would encourage you to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, but it's really speaking of the 70th week of Daniel, the last seven years before on the earth before Jesus comes physically to the earth and sets up his millennial reign. But one of the interesting things in Daniel chapter 9, uh, it, it talks about this this plan, this timetable, if you will, and it's very accurate. It's very interesting. I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.